0: Hello, and welcome to another episode of Conversations at the Washington Library, a podcast about early American history and the people that teach it. I'm your host for today's episode, Anthony King, and in this special episode, I'm gonna be sitting down with Dr. Joe Stoltz and Dr. Dana Stefanelli to review some audience questions. And uh, we did a poll through various social media platforms and we've compiled some questions from our listeners and we're gonna tackle these the best we can, so uh, Keep in mind, we're going to do this live, so we're going to do the best that we can with all the answers that we got right on the spot here. So oh, boy. Thanks for joining me, gentlemen, <laughs> and uh, let's uh, let's get right down and into it here, then. Yeah, because how could this go wrong?
1: <laughs>
2: not at all. <laughs> Let us count the ways. Uh-
0: <laughs> <laughs> I don't foresee many, but uh, you know there is the contingency plan that we've got for this. And just to be clear, Danny and I have not seen these
1: questions ahead of time, so you're getting not. raw, historian action here.
0: Only I have seen the questions okay. ahead of time, so... Let's start off with an interesting one here. Uh, this comes from our Instagram account. This is at Mount Vernon. If you would like to follow us, we would greatly appreciate that. This comes from Livy underscore Adelman. Thank you, Livy. Uh, is it true that George Washington asked for raisins for his birthday? Birthdays. I don't
2: know. I have no idea. Did we stump you with the first question already? <laughs> I mean, no. plausibly... Um,
1: I mean, who doesn't like raisins?
2: <laughs> I imagine raisins would have been an uh, appropriate uh, sort of, uh, you know, minor luxury item in the 18th century. So, uh, you know, most of the, the sweet things they ate were connected to, uh, you know, even
1: non. Direct sugar,
2: right, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you know, you, when you use sugar, thing like if you no, ate fruit,
1: like tin, non-processed sugar. That's that's
2: the yeah, tin fruit or throwing f- sugar sugar on fruit. That was sort of a common dessert mm-hmm. thing. So,
0: do we know of anything that he liked to have around his birthday time? Anything special? Maybe maybe not was maybe wasn't raisins. <laughs> well, there's a the great cake. Did to do that for his birthday? I'm trying to remember. off oh, it's the top of
2: my head. I, I think that was for holidays. Was it?
1: Yeah. Yeah. The great cake, which is God's gift to butter. <laughs> 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 it's a massive
2: pound cake. Look, look up right. the recipe
1: on our website. It's uh, You're going to want to go to the store and get more butter before you try and make it.
2: Yeah.
0: Okay,
1: good one. His favorite food was hoe cakes right. with honey because it, it was. was soft and his teeth hurt. The, the teeth could easily yeah. you know, he did,
0: chew something. <laughs> yeah, he did
2: like sweet things. Yeah. I mean, he liked fortified wine, so that's wine with sugar in it. Uh, his Madeira one. Mm-hmm. Uh, he liked the honey on, mm-hmm. on the hoe cakes. We know that. So he did have a bit of a sweet tooth, uh, you know, no pun intended, I guess. <laughs> Interesting. During the state of his teeth.
0: All right. We're going to stay on our Instagram account here. And we got another question uh, from Ashley Megan Hill. Thank you, Ashley. Why did GW join the military if he saw himself as a farmer?
1: Uh, well, that's a great question. Uh, he, you know, Starts out as a as a as a small uh, property planter uh, near Fredericksburg. Uh, It's a a modest acreage. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he he goes into the military because by going into the Virginia military, that's connection into Virginia politics. Uh, If he's going to want to make his way up in the world, uh, you know, those political connections will help. Uh, So that's probably, but he's probably looking more of it as. You know, government service yeah. uh, and patronage system.
2: Yeah, I mean, I, I guess you can go back to this this third son or fourth son, you know, he, he was a younger son, so in the sort of the British tradition, he was not someone who was destined to inherit uh, wealth or, or uh a position in society. So, for you know, in in Britain, uh, in Europe, the model was if you if you were not someone who was destined for greatness at birth, then one way of getting ahead was to join the military, and presumably to uh, you know ideally have great victories on the battlefield mm-hmm. or or at sea, and 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 to be rewarded for that service. Uh, and so, you know, I mean. Uh, if, if you're born born into a certain position, ser- service in the militia was expected, mm-hmm. right, in Virginia Colony, and it would have been in the early states, uh, at, you know, probably as an officer. So it was one of those things that the upper class did for various reasons, mm-hmm. both uh, because of expectations and because of a desire to improve their station in
1: life. Yeah, and, it's, and it's a revenue source. I mean, and to be clear, when we say, you know, George Washington thought of himself as a farmer, you know, he, he's not going out cutting that tobacco himself and hoeing his own fields behind the ox. <laughs> right. know, he, he sees himself as a property manager. Yeah. Uh, and and the property he has initially is not producing that much revenue. Just It just doesn't have the acreage. So, you know, also going into the, the military as sort of an extra career um, is, is just a way to build capital and improve his station.
2: Yeah. There's probably the, the farmer-planter distinction is maybe yeah. worth m- mentioning here. You know, we're talking about cash crops to a certain extent, uh, not, not foodstuffs necessarily. Um, you know, so the idea that you're, you have a, you're, it's a farm, but it's, it's a plantation and you're planting things that you're going to sell to people to make money. Uh, you know, it's usually a plant factory, yeah, yeah. I mean, t- talking about mass, exactly. <laughs> you know, mass quantities of a few of a few crops, yeah. rather, okay. rather than a, a wide variety of foodstuff sort of things.
0: Good distinction. Um, so, we've got another one here, and this would be near and dear to Joe's heart based on your previous research that you've done. Uh, it's from AML one two eight seven seven on our Instagram account, did President hey, Washington Daniel. ever meet Andrew Jackson?
1: Did President Washington ever meet Andrew Jackson? I don't believe so. Uh, They did live, they were contemporaries, uh, but Jackson at that point, Washington would have been alive, uh, is I believe the entire time uh, still gonna be in sort of the North Carolina, South Carolina area. I don't remember when he moves uh, west to Tennessee, but even if he did, by that point, him and George are not in the same circles. Jackson actually was the last president to do military service. Uh, in the American Revolutionary War, he was in the militia for a brief period uh, during uh, sort of the southern phase of the war against the British. Um, probably not supposed to legally be doing it, but that's typical <laughs> Andrew. <laughs> yeah, because he, uh, so yeah, he was so young. Yeah, because he was so young. And it's actually something he he plays on when he runs for president is uh, this you know somewhat truthful, a little bit a little bit uh, exaggerated. exaggerated story about how uh, he has a scar because mm. uh, this British officer uh, who was at his house boarding there uh, wanted, his, uh, wanted Andrew Jackson to polish his boots and Andrew Jackson refused as a young man in the spirit of you know, freedom and liberty and, and Jackson got smacked with the side of the guy's sword. Uh, which still cuts a little bit because there's, you know, still a blade there. Mm. Uh, And and Martin Van Buren found that really good (laughs) to uh, help Andrew, really good to promote to help Andrew Jackson become president. But no, they didn't meet, that I know of.
0: Yeah. As far as we know. As far as we know. (laughs) Uh, Cool. So we're going to move over to our Facebook account right now. And we got a message from Jim Anderson. And his question is, did Washington have a British accent?
1: Well, not to be pedantic. Uh, no, please be pedantic. Oh, oh, that's what I, <laughs> um, I mean, you know, so there's it, 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 Scotland is calling, and they, they, they were Scotland, Wales, and Northern Ireland are all calling and would like clarification on what a British accent is. Uh, you <laughs> yeah. know, even if you're just talking <laughs> England, right? I mean, even mean like an English England. accent. Uh, I mean, even now, there's still really th- at least three sort of major. English accent. Oh, I'm, I'm
2: sure the English, and, I mean, I, I have my my English friends, my British friends have sort of gone through the list of cities and, you know, demonstrated yeah. the variations in the accent <laughs> there. Yeah. Even within London, there are multiple accents, I think. So, yeah. 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 Um, uh,
1: and I mean, you think even, even in, you know, just on the U.S. eastern seaboard, I mean, Georgia has an accent that's... Different from South Carolina and North Carolina, which has a different accent yeah. than. But but to, ah, to bring well, this in,
2: back to George, maybe a little bit, yeah. I guess. Even though I think we don't have a specific yeah. answer, uh, you know, there
1: has audio recordings of George Washington <laughs> speaking. please submit. <laughs> We'd love to see yeah. that. Then. You know, the, no, no. the British
2: recognized that there were sort of idiosyncrasies in the ways that Americans yeah. spoke generally. So whatever whatever the Amer- the British American accent was, you know, can easily be. It would have varied by geography, as, as Joe was just alluding to. Uh, uh, but you know, there, there were uh, certainly there were similarities in in the patterns of speech between the British homeland and British America. But I mean, you know, you, big variation throughout the British Empire in this mm-hmm. in this era as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yes, there's you know English or British English as the, as the lingua franca, the, the common language between everybody, but probably not a standard way of pronunciation. And in Washington's letters, when, you know, letters of introduction, you see this, uh, you know, pretty frequently. Uh, this person pronounces their name this way, uh, you know, or, or sending word ahead, uh, expect this person to come here, here, you know, this is their name, which sometimes rhymes with something to, to sort of clue somebody into some uh, to how someone's name may be pr- pronounced. So uh, that variation uh, was, the expectation of variation was shared
0: throughout throughout the colonies, I, I presume. So. so I think it's safe to say that we just don't know. <laughs>
2: we we do not, we, not have we, dialogue. We do not have the, the definitive <laughs> confirmation. Yeah, I mean, it's and, not and, likely. Right. <laughs> any any movie, any historical f- piece of, of uh historical fiction uh, or documentary you, you see today where people are are uh, using speech we, you know, di- dialogue is constructed in in modern time. We we really don't know exactly mm-hmm. how they spoke. Mm-hmm.
1: But again, if anyone has audio recordings of <laughs> <in> George Washington, <laughs> I, I think I can feel comfortable saying Mount Vernon would pay a substantial sum for <laughs> 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 Many, pe-
0: many, people, would. many yeah. people would. I wouldn't want to even authenticate that. Yeah. I mean, no, you can. Oh, It'd be you're, great. You're, be yeah. great. Um, so, we, moving on to our Twitter account at Mount Vernon. Um, please follow us. And uh, here's one question we've got here from Robert Kugler at Aloha Cougs. Uh, what were the general's favorite libations?
2: Well, I mentioned Madeira wine. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got that that cherry bounce mm-hmm. uh, recipe mm-hmm. on the Mount Vernon website. Been wanting to make that myself. Uh, is a, a a brandy cherry juice mm-hmm. sort what of a mix. It, it's quite an involved. <laughs> yeah, re- yeah, it's yeah, a pretty inv- library. <laughs> <laughs> it's a pretty involved <laughs> recipe. Uh, so yeah, I mean, it sort of goes along with his sweet tooth too. And,
1: you yeah, know. I mean, he we we know he uh, he did on occasion. Uh, uh, Drink—they're uh, called claret, uh, which is which is uh, Bordeaux wine, French Bordeaux wine—would uh, have been a major export. Um, it doesn't travel the best, so you mostly see him getting that when he either has to really impress or uh, when the French army's here. Um, go figure, the French army puts a lot of investment in making sure they can get their Bordeaux delivered wherever they need
0: it. You don't say.
1: Yeah, I know. It's weird, huh? <laughs> uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the, the especially for, for like just basic drinks that uh, is like something Madeira is probably yeah. George's go-to.
2: Most accounts of, of him at dinner and stuff mention wine, him drinking wine. Yeah. I don't know specifically what he was which, drinking Which normally there. would have
1: been Madeira. Yeah. yeah.
2: Uh, that was a... a Pretty popular in, in America, and that.
1: Yeah, because it's, it's since it's fortified, it, it traveled better. Whereas with uh, you know an unfortified wine, you risk you risk spoilage in, in the cask and stuff. Oxidization. Where do you, call your call your ownophile the file friends if you want a full explanation.
2: Yeah, I don't know how much of a beer drinker he was. There's that recipe for small beer that that Budweiser yeah, sort that was, of adapted to. Yeah, was for really the
1: enslaved a, and workers. Uh, oh, right. oh, that Budweiser. that Budweiser thing recently was complete. <laughs> yeah, no, I know,
2: I know, I know. But uh, and I don't. It doesn't seem like he he was a big whiskey drinker, even though even he never really not. do still? <laughs> so. No, I
1: mean we probably the, one of the biggest alcohol purchases he makes in his life is whiskey. Mm -hmm. The first time he runs for, or second time he runs for House of Purchases, he hands out some free whiskey. Uh, But yeah, whiskey and beer would have been considered.
2: Swelling um, the bumbo, right? That's the the phrase uh, for the drinking.
0: (laughs) Awesome. So let's move to uh, a what if question here. Uh, As we're still on Twitter, it's uh, at Lady Cornwallis. What would have happened to George if he'd been the one to surrender at Yorktown?
2: I imagine he would have gone on trial for treason. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> well.
0: and it would not have ended well, I do not think.
2: <laughs>
1: yeah, I mean, the, the, I can't imagine that the uh, the Crown would not have brought him back to London, certainly, yeah. for trial. Um,
2: if there's one person whose head was on the block, I'm pretty yeah. sure it would have been George Washington's.
1: Yeah. Uh, I mean, it would it would have behooved the Crown, and you see, you see the debates, even as the war is going on, about not prosecuting it. Too fiercely, um, despite the uh, <laughs> British war crimes that are often depicted in modern American movies. Right. Uh, uh, so I think you know, so Br- British policy at that point probably had been one big show trial with a nice splashy ending, uh, and then commute yeah. other sen- sentences mm. in the spirit of reconciliation. But that show trial is going to be George
2: Washington. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even you know, the English Civil War, which was you know, famously moderate for its period, there were some beheading. <laughs> there, were, there were a few people who, who got it, uh, and so i
1: Yeah, I mean, I think technically, drawing and quartering was still on the books in British law for high treason, but, you know, they, this is the age of reason. They're too civilized for mm-hmm. them at that point, right? Of course. Yeah. Right? Ma- ma- of course. Yeah. So they're gonna invent nice, efficient methods for execution, like
0: guillotines later on in the French Revolution. Yeah. It's only a short while away. Yeah. <laughs> after next episode. After <laughs> okay. Um, Singing with Twitter again. Uh, we've got one from Cheryl Al- Alsbach. Cheryl L. C. Alsbach on Twitter. Uh, would G. W. consider his time as General of the Continental Army or his time as POTUS his greatest service to our nation?
1: Or, or is is it is this an either or? or? <laughs>
2: would he have considered it? That's the question. Yes,
0: we're yeah. saying which one he would have been more proud of, or what are we? Which one he would consider his greatest service to our nation?
2: Hmm. I have a feeling winning the revolution was probably the bigger. I mean, it, it it is the thing that that entailed the most international notoriety and the probably the greater. Mm-hmm. In, in its own time, beating the British Empire was probably recognized as as the you know impossible to achieve yet a, yet thing that was achieved. Um, I'm I'm not sure George himself shared that view uh, because he he was very apprehensive about taking on the presidency in light of his en- enormous success on the battlefield, uh, or at least his enormous success, his enormous success in winning independence. Um, so personally, he may have found uh, the presidency more challenging, uh, but I, I'm not sure he, he would necessarily have thought that was his, his greater achievement. What do you think, Joe?
1: Uh, I, th- I mean, not that we can lay him out on his very nice blue couch, and if you don't get that <laughs> reference, check back to last week's episode. Yeah. But I think I'm going to agree with you, Dana, uh, that it would be the revolution, but in the sense of I don't think he really had as. Much, I mean, he, he leaves the presidency fairly frustrated with with politics, uh, and he only gets to enjoy sort of his retirement for a few years before he, he dies. So I think he would have had more time to sort of reflect on the magnitude of the Revolutionary War. Um, you know, I, I'd, I'd throw a third one in. Maybe, maybe, uh, you know, the Constitutional Convention and, and successfully going from the Articles of Confederation to uh, the Constitution of the United States uh, might have ranked up there as well mm-hmm. um, because that's quite a hard thing, right? I mean, you 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 just fundamentally altered the way of government in the United States and did it without a shot fired, sure. which is pretty impressive.
2: Yeah, um, and even though he didn't shepherd ratification, it was... But he's know, intentionally pro- shepherding uh, ratification uh, and and Knowing people, everyone knew this was a, Jordan, yeah. a document created under Washington's guidance. So, yeah. I mean, I, you know, I I do... I think the apprehensiveness uh, is is maybe a key consideration because yeah. he pretty enthusiastically wanted to become commander in chief in 1775. <clears throat> Excuse me, uh, <clears throat> but he was much more apprehensive about becoming president. So, um, you know, I think that speaks to what he thought was the greater challenge.
0: Yeah. Well, well said. Uh, we're going to switch over to Facebook here again, uh, and we've got some questions here from uh, Catherine Donley Maldoff. Thank you, Catherine. Do you have any, uh, ongoing archaeology sites at Mount Vernon, and do you feel there is anything left unexplored on the grounds?
1: Uh, we do. Uh, there, there are right now two active archaeology sites at um the two the two big areas they're doing uh, work in one is is what's known as South Midden, uh, and it's essentially the trash pile for the mansion, um, dumpster up back if you will, <laughs> uh, which right I mean they they, they don't have trash takeaway in in the 18th century so you would you do you just sort of have a spot where you, you throw your stuff right but we can learn a lot about what was used in the house by checking what they threw away. Um, the other spot that has received a lot of archeological work of late has been uh, the cemetery for the enslaved population, um, or at least the portion we've discovered so far, mm-hmm. which is sort of the lead-in to the next point of, yes, there are still lots of things uh, to uncover. Uh, they're still trying to uh, figure out the, both the limits to the slave cemetery for the enslaved that we're aware of, um, but I believe there's some I mean, just numerically, this this can't have been uh, all of them, so is there another spot on the property, which if there is, we'd like to know so we don't accidentally build on it. Uh, We don't obviously build anything here at Mount Vernon without doing archaeological work. Um, And then one of the things that's, uh, you know, our our archaeologists, I think, sort of jazzed about sometime is uh, there was Native American settlement here on what's going to become Mount Vernon. There was just a story... A month or two ago, right? In in uh, the news about uh, some school kids that were participating in a dig.
0: Yeah, it was back in uh, October, I think. Was it, it was a okay. couple okay. months ago? Uh, uh, <laughs> yeah, time flies. Yeah, uh,
1: and they, you know, kids doing whatever, I don't know, playing in the dirt, whatever archaeologists do, and uh, found. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I, don't I know. think they do yeah. more than that, joke. <laughs> yeah. We'll just say that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and 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 this this uh, high school student uncovered. Uh, some sort of primitive Neolithic tool that mm-hmm. set back uh, the presumed uh, first sort of human settlement in the area, you know, at a few uh, thousand years, I don't know how they...
2: Yeah.
1: I don't know. I, I joked with a friend of mine that's an archaeologist that he was taking so long to write his dissertation. I was like, why, why is it taking so long? Your, your dissertation is literally just Dear Diary Today. I found a pot shard. <laughs> <laughs> I, should, I should clarify, former friend.
2: Right. right. Yeah, I... I not love our archaeologists. I have not been following... I don't... Yeah, this, yeah. Joe's answered this question much better than I could, too.
0: Well, fantastic. Um, From Matt Carson on Facebook here, are there any Masonic symbols or artifacts at Mount Vernon? Uh, And did Washington hold any Masonic events there?
1: There are. There's something, right? Uh, I don't think there's any symbols. I believe in the collection we have a few things, but the majority of uh, the George Washington Mason... Connection artifacts are held a little bit north of here uh, at the uh, George Washington Masonic Memorial in Alexandria, Virginia. uh, That that was given from the family to the local Masonic chapter because they they were masons. Um, So that was donated. So I think I think they still have uh, most of that. Was there there was another part of the question right of
2: Masonic events, yeah, I Not mean, yeah. yeah. uh, that I'm aware
1: of. No, I don't think so. Uh, it's there's there's an interesting letter that Washington. <laughs> so there's a series of letters that Washington receives as president. We have a few uh, of them here in the library, uh, and it's it's a guy writing uh, George Washington. Uh, when he's president and, 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 and he's a big fan of Washington he's like hey I just moved here from Western Europe and I love America and this is awesome but uh, have you heard of the Illuminati? Because <laughs> I think they're trying to infiltrate the government through the Masons and, and Washington right he feeds the trolls he actually replies to the guy and he's like uh, I don't think so because you know, I, th- I think we're fine and this, this correspondence goes back a few times and Washington's like no seriously we're, we're fine I've i'm a I'm a mason. Uh, I haven't seen anyone trying to take over America at at the meetings I was at Uh, and this goes back and forth the guy sends Washington a whole book on the Illuminati and Washington finally is like look I actually don't go to a lot of Masonic events I'm not terribly involved anymore but I I really don't think this is happening please leave me alone
2: right which could be depending on your perspective like you know (laughs)
1: dispositive no
2: there is no infiltration or
1: exhibit A in the infiltration
2: (laughs) of the Illuminati (laughs) in America so
0: yeah nice we're going to go back to Instagram here uh, for our last couple of questions here. Um, this one comes from Clayton ClaytonRM47. Thank you, Clayton. What was Washington's worst personal fear, such as snakes, death, etc., or fear about the future of U.S.?
1: Failure, I think. Yeah,
2: he was... I mean, he was a very ambitious guy. Yeah, I mean, I, he did not... He, he did not want to fail at the things that he did. Um you know, he, there's that being conscious of his defective education thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think he, he also feared looking foolish in mm-hmm. public, uh, and that was something, uh, you know, maybe a smaller-scale thing that motivated his self-education, uh, his, you know...
1: Fear of he had a little fear of public speaking. He wasn't yeah. terribly confident at yeah. doing it. You know, the teeth don't help. He, he apparently had sort of... Uh, speaking of his voice, I mean, one of the things we do hear about is he has sort of a... What's the word? Sort of... Airy voice is the way I've seen it phrased, mm-hmm. or his like a, a not a wheeze but yeah. breathy, breathy, yeah. breathy hmm. voice, not the big stentorian voice we
0: probably want him <laughs> not to Not the have. way it's portrayed in media these days, no, <laughs> no. Um,
2: always by an actor with a deep voice, yeah. right? right. <laughs> deep and authoritative.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, well, I think I, I'm gonna go with failure. Um, know, I think you see that plague him all the way into you know essentially how he's gonna the issue of slavery is gonna affect him is because I think he sees it as, it bothered him to some extent because he saw it as a failure to figure out a solution to the problem. It's something by the end of his life, he he is both economically and morally opposed to the idea of enslavement, but can't figure mm-hmm. out a way out of it that yeah. he sees you know, politically uh, possible. Uh, and I, I think he struggles with that failure. And I do think he saw it as failure. Probably because he has Lafayette and Hamilton tell him that.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, i, I I'm just. I think that's probably right. But I, I do think the you know the imposter syndrome sort yeah, of thing yeah. that, you know, he he was very conscious. I, you know, we talked talked about the rules of civility, and uh, a lot of that is about how you appear in public. And you know, he did not did not want to appear to be base. You know, lower class in his demeanor. Uh, and the way he conducted himself with people, and so you know, uh, worrying about what what people, whether people thought he deserved <laughs> to be, mm-hmm. to be the greatest man of his age, w- was something that that preoccupied his mind. I don't know if that qualifies as a fear or not, but it was it was on his brain.
0: That is well said. Uh, and what we can take away from this is and spiders. <laughs> <laughs> okay, unlike Indiana Jones, yeah. it seems like Washington was not afraid of snakes. Not to
1: worry, not. not to I worry. mean, as far as we know. Record. No. As far
0: as we know, he did not write in a letter. They said, <laughs> <Not> those snakes. <laughs> no. Gave me the chills. <laughs> uh, so we're getting to the last question here, and this is one that we got uh, frequently throughout the various social media platforms that we put out our our inquiry to. Uh, so we just want to say thanks again to all of our guests who uh, and and uh, listeners who participated in this uh, little trial run that we did for this uh in fact this is a special anniversary of our 50th anniversary uh episode that joe and i have done since we took over last year um so thank you for listening uh and we hope that we can do something like this again uh, in the future here whenever we, we need some uh some content um so the last question here uh what's your favorite thing about george washington
1: ponies no <laughs> uh dana Boy, You're the editor of the George
2: Washington yeah, Papers. Yeah, I mean, that's a tough <laughs> question. Uh, you know, I, I Joe mentioned his brief retirement after, uh, after the presidency, but in a sense, he had a first retirement, mm-hmm. which was after he turned in his, you know, surrendered his commission at the end of the revolution. And... Uh, And I, you know, he 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 was still relatively young then, and he really wanted to enjoy that retirement. I mean, he he, you know, you do get the sense of someone who who is enjoying life, enjoying retirement. he enjoyed fox hunting. He enjoyed <laughs> riding. Uh, you know, he spent there. Are, if you look at his diary, diary from from those years, you really get the sense of a guy who's just relaxing and having fun a lot of the time. So, um, you know, I, it's, I think it's interesting. I'm not sure that that's my favorite thing about George Washington, but <laughs> I, th- I think it's interesting that you get a glimpse of of him as a regular person uh, in you know enjoying his life. Uh, and, and not sort of the serious commander in chief or president that, through mo- you know, that dominates his image, in most other instances. Joe,
1: my favorite thing about George Washington, uh, I mean, I guess you could go with the, uh, the 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 sort of standard you know things I respect most type things. You know, his convictions and. Uh, you know, his leadership qualities. Um, I think. I think, as as the director of the George Washington Leadership Institute, that's sort of a pass. Right <laughs> qualities. So I'll uh, dig deeper, and I, I I'll sort of g- agree with you, Dana. Uh, but I'm going to go with a different one. George Washington's sense of humor, hmm. um, which you don't see a lot. No, uh, we don't have a lot of in the historical record. Uh, but he did. We do know uh, from the, the stuff we do have, uh, that he had a very uh, dry, sarcastic sense of humor uh, that I think helped because he was always so understated and so so in control that it actually let him deliver those lines so much more uh, powerfully. and interestingly, because of the uh, uh, MPAA rating that we need to keep this show at, <laughs> uh, I can't tell you some of the jokes that George Washington has <laughs> in some of his correspondence. Uh, but uh, they're there, and uh, he, could, he could be a little naughty at times. Yeah. Uh, and I think that's fun. You, 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 it's, it's fun the moments you, you see him, like Dana said, you, you get to relax. Uh, so you know, I think my favorite thing is that he was in fact a human being.
2: Yeah.
1: Um, you know I think there's you know who who was it Sir Edmunds the Marble Man like, did the first hmm. biography. I don't know. Uh, you know it, it's the interesting thing I think for us as teachers of George Washington is that the guy is perfect and 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 deified like a god, then it, it actually becomes very hard to teach about mm-hmm. him because he's not relatable. Yeah. So I think my favorite thing about George Washington is he was in fact a human. <laughs> um,
0: which lets us tell fun stories. And then that it does. And may the stories continue. So thanks again guys for joining us here and uh, let's do this again in the future. Okay.
2: Thank you, Anthony.
0: Thank you for listening to this episode of Conversations at the Washington Library.
1: Be sure to subscribe and follow this podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts.